you're your own inspiration. You have everything that you need to know inside you. You just literally have to listen to yourself and not be distracted by other what other people think you should do or, you know, like literally you have everything. Like if you look at what you were doing as a kid when money was not an, an issue at all, and you think about how you spend your time when your idle time, literally I was on shopping, like shop every, I would come home every day and go online and shop and look at blogs, you know? Welcome to Depth and Candor, the podcast that explores how changemakers of color define and live out their purpose through their careers, side hustles, and entrepreneurial contributions. I'm your host, Hiwate Gaetana, and I am so thrilled to take you with me as I talk to incredible innovators about what it really takes to do impactful work and live a life you love. Speaking of a life you love, I am so happy with my life right now, y'all. I'm in Seattle with five of my closest friends as I record this, and I'm so amazed at how quickly life evolves and shifts. Since I quit my research career in September of 2018, I have joined the media world, learned a ton from doing that, and most recently, I found a role as a producer at a podcast production company, which... If you've been listening to this podcast, you know that's been a huge dream of mine. And I'll go into the details of how that came about and hopefully what's next and all of that in a separate episode. But just this series of events and how my career has played out over the last year has really made me think a lot about how beautifully life unfolds when you have the mental clarity and willingness to try and pursue what genuinely, genuinely interests you. This is, of course, that much harder for those of us who are first or second generation immigrants because we're usually raised to think that the only real career options out there are, say it with me, doctor, lawyer, accountant, or engineer, right? So a lot of us do what I did. I went to undergrad for biochemistry, a major that I thought my parents will be so proud of me for doing this. And then we go to grad school and we try to pursue one of these fields or something like it. But a lot of us also end up really unhappy with our careers and really unfulfilled with our careers. And most recently, I was listening to a podcast by Esther Perel. Her podcast is called um, How's Work. And she talks about how Millennials, which is my generation, we live in an identity economy. And what this means is that we get a lot of our identity and a lot of our meaning through our work and through who we choose to to end up marrying and partnering with. And I think this is so interesting because it's so different than the way our parents and our grandparents think about their work or even about things like marriage, but that's a whole other topic. Our parents worked in a service economy. Our grandparents worked in a production economy. And so their identity is not tied up in the same ways that our identity is in their work. And so for immigrants, I think this is especially interesting because when our parents or grandparents, when they brought us here, they brought us here wanting a better life for us. And so they encouraged us to go down the careers that they knew or they expected to be thriving careers. But the truth is, now we live in the age of the internet, where being a YouTuber is an actual career where you could make a lot of money. You can choose to be a podcaster and actually 
make that your career path, which these are words and roles that didn't exist 20, 30 years ago. So of course, why would they have encouraged us to go down that path? But I'm fascinated by people who go down that path like me and then who say, you know what? I'm actually going to do the thing I love instead of the thing that I, that I think everyone else wants me to do. So we're going to be talking to someone who did just that. But before we get into that, I should tell you that today's podcast is brought to you by Libsyn. Libsyn is a podcast hosting platform. So if you've been listening to this podcast and you've been thinking, maybe I should start my own podcast. Or if you have a friend who's been thinking that, you should host your podcast for free for one month on Libsyn by using the promo code vibrant. And if you do write to me, send me the podcast name, I genuinely want to hear it. Okay, so today we're going to be speaking with Bana Germay. Bana is the creative director behind Mama Bana, which is a streetwear line inspired by the coasts and cultures of Southern California and East Africa. Specifically, Mama Bana aims to highlight and amplify creatives in the diaspora who are pushing the culture into the future, which I love. I love that. Before Bana quit her job at Goldman Sachs to build a career in the fashion industry, she was a lawyer who ended up in that career because when she was an undergrad, she, like most of us, didn't know what she wanted to do. And as a second-generation immigrant, she chose the route that was considered acceptable. She graduated from law school in 2012, started working at Goldman Sachs and then at Oliver Wyman in New York for a few years, both of which didn't really fulfill her. And at one point, she decided, you know what? I'm going to go to L.A. She's from L.A. She said, I'm going to go to L.A. I'm going to figure out what it is that really brings me to life. What kind of work do I want to do in this world? And so she spent a year exploring. Um, She tried styling for a bit. It didn't really do it for her. She talked to lawyers who weren't practicing traditional law. That didn't really do it for her. She talked to teachers and considered maybe becoming a teacher because she loves kids. And none of it really sparked anything for her. So she came back to New York because her old boss at Goldman Sachs was offering her a VP title. And you know what? I'll let her take it from here. Yeah, I come back to New York in, I think, yeah, 2017, summer of 2017, um, two years ago, and I go back to Goldman. It's, it's like, when I first get back, I'm energized because I have this new role, like, you know, things are kind of brand new again. Mm -hmm. And I I love new things, shiny new things, which is (laughs) terrible. But (laughs) I was like, oh, check me out. I'm a VP now. Like people actually like listen to me and answer my calls. I can like do stuff. So like I was, that was really cool. So, and I felt like I was learning more because people were asking me what I thought rather than just asking me to execute, you know? Yes. So that was a really good like, I don't know if it was the best move, but I think it was a really good experience for me to have just mm-hmm. to like be at a different level. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that. So I was at Goldman for another two years and change. Um, and like, I, I'd say after year one, it started getting really repetitive and like feeling like how it felt the first time I was at Goldman. <laughs> like I started um, getting into the office and being like, why am I here? Like, do I really have to be here? Like, 
what could I be doing instead, yeah. you know? Yeah. So that was really tough. I, I'd say the, like, a, about a year in, I was like, maybe I um, should really start thinking about this fashion thing again. Because hmm. after after the, like, styling thing in, um, in L.A., I was like, oh, um, I'm not... I'm just like, I just like dropped the ball. Like I didn't do anything else after that fashion wise. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I took, I took, um, I enrolled in a course at FIT, yeah. which I think was like a huge first step for me. And I didn't know where that would take me. I had no idea like what would come of that. Um, but just like learning how to sew and being around fashion students was really inspiring. Cause like, as opposed to going into the office on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, uh, going into this class on Saturdays, like in the butt crack of dawn, I was like so happy. Interesting. You know? Okay, so you worked, your hours were pretty crazy at Goldman, right? Or like no. busy? No? They were amazing. And I think that's the part of me that was like, this makes sense. I can kind of like bullshit at work and be cool and make money you know <laughs> yes yes <laughs> I, i'm sure a lot of people do in corporate totally. but that's like dangerous too yeah because it's comfortable yes and it, it was comfortable but like um like the job was comfortable if it wasn't me totally i don't know if that makes sense totally. yeah yeah but when you said it's dangerous too i thought you meant like it's dangerous because you can stay as long yes. as you want because no one's really pressuring you or checking for you. Yeah, yeah. And you can kind of like slide to the background. Yeah, yeah that's exactly what I did. Doing it. That's exactly what I did when I was doing research. I was like, literally, you're using a solid 10% of my brain. Yes. And I can yes. get my job done in two hours. But I, yeah, like I'm going to come in at 10 and leave at four, see what happens. <laughs> Did it feel like you were wasting your time? 100%. Okay, yeah. And the bigger, like, uh, the bigger thing that I kept feeling was I'm in the wrong place. Like, somebody get me out. Mm, Exactly. (laughs) Like, and was that because of the work or the people or, like, both? Or what what was, like, the biggest factor? That's a really good question. It was the work. Like, I, I really opposed the fact that we were spending millions of dollars to do research on low-income populations i was like just give them the money like this will solve 50 percent of the problems so like i was just like this is a scam and right i don't want to be a part of it (laughs) (laughs) right so i met our friend natalie at work so there was one friend that I had that made it really easy to go to work. She probably right. was a big reason why I stayed longer than I would have stayed. Um, but most of the other That's people, real. I was like, <laughs> I could never see y'all again. I'd be good. Yeah. I heard someone say this and it really resonated with me. It was like to love your job or like, like your job, you need two of three things. Like one, the commute has to be like, okay, like it, you're not crazy far two good co-workers and three like meaningful work wow i've never heard of right that, that makes complete sense if you have two of three if you have one of three it's like eh, you can't really live, yeah. like maintain but if you have two of three that's the most dangerous yes you're totally right i had one yeah. i had one of three i had a good co-worker <laughs> But, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's not enough. Yeah. So then you started feeling that way. You took that FIT class on Saturdays. Yeah. It was just Saturdays. Saturdays at like 9 a.m. For um, how long? Which was tough. 
um, a semester from like September to December. Wow. 9 a.m. to what time? Like noon. Noon or one? Yeah. It was yeah. a long ass class. Yeah, yeah. So it ate up most of your Saturday. Yeah. Okay. But how but did I you would feel? feel yeah. It, like the hardest part was waking up, of course, because, you know, on Saturdays. But like it was really cool because every week we accomplished something tactical. Like we sewed on, sewed a collar or um, I put the like waistband on a skirt or something like that. Mm-hmm. And we learned different stitches, like the construction of a garment, just like a whole world. It was the intro class. So I did not like out here like sewing the entire <laughs> things, but it opened, it like cracked open a door. Yeah that was completely shut, had locks and bolts on it before, you know? Wow. So one of the things we haven't talked about is where did this love for fashion even start? That's a good question because I just, I know it was always there. Hmm. Um, Like when I was in high school, I used to go to all these thrift stores and there's like this $1 place where um, every Sunday they have like piles of clothing and vintage clothes and you just like dig and find stuff and I'd take it home and like cut it up and wear it to school the next day so like I always was interested in fashion but I'm not I think it was just like innately within me Mm -hmm. I don't know when it started um but like um I and and I I obviously like recognize that because in college I did these internships and stuff yeah um but I think at the same time I never took it seriously as like a career path Hmm. Yeah, that makes because, total sense. Yeah, because I was like so preoccupied with this doctor lawyer engineer thing. Yeah. Okay, so you take a semester of a sewing class at FIT. Yes. What happens next? So that was until December of 2018. And then I went back to Eritrea to, in January. Um, and when I came back to Eritrea, I had already um, like had this idea of fashion in my head, right? Mm-hmm. Um So when I came back from Eritrea, like, you know, being in a completely different environment, obviously, and then coming back to Goldman was like the most eye-opening, to be be nice, eye-opening experience. I was like, okay, I'm walking into this place that like I really could care less about. I feel bad for saying that because the people were really nice to me, but I just like didn't feel it. Yeah. and I already know what I like because I've done it and it's like tried and tested. Mm-hmm. So every day when I walked into work, it just felt like I just felt like, what the hell, what the hell, what the hell. Um, and then I, um, through my friend Grace, I she like has been amazing. She's like my fairy godmother. She has plugged me with all of these like designers and brands. And so she got me a gig at Fashion Week, at New York Fashion Week, behind the scenes, like wow. we're helping with the stylist. So that was another experience that I was like, I love this. Um, I had to like pr- tell my job like I was going to the dentist or something, and I like <laughs> was that fashion week. You basically like called off work for a week or what? Uh, it was two days. <laughs> I was like, okay, I can't pass up this opportunity. Of course. Yeah, I had to do it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to the dentist for two days. And <laughs> <laughs> um, and so then after that, they recommended me to this like um, up and coming brand in Soho, who um, are there just a husband and wife couple, and they basically needed like help with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So I talked with them and they were like, you have this full time job at Goldman, how are you gonna like work with us? We need someone here at like at least three days a week. I was like, 
Um, I was like, I can come after work and do like six to like 10 or something like that. And then I'll do a, a day on Saturday too. Mm-hmm. That transformed into like um, a two days during the week and then Saturday, Sunday, both days. So that wow. was a really tough, I was working seven days a week. For how long? Um, it was until, so it was like from February to when I quit at the end of March. So it was like almost three months. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah. Or right, February, March. Was, I guess it was only two months. Yeah. But it felt like 10 months. Because <laughs> sure. you were literally like, working seven days a week. Yeah. I'm like... After going from like a job at Goldman where I was like really like all day was very intense at that point because then I had by then I had gotten more and more responsibility. Leaving that to go to another job where it's like they don't even remember they don't even, it's like you forget they forgot that I had a full time job, so it was exhausting. I'd be home like exhausted. So um, then I by then I literally saw the like stark dichotomy of what of like fashion versus not so like when I put those two things together I really was left with no choice but to quit you know what I'm saying wow yes because you were like is it because you were like I love this world and I clearly hate this one yeah like every day I would walk in and I'm sure you like noticed I started wearing like normal clothes to go <laughs> yeah on her instagram i forget what was the hashtag on instagram uh freestyle fridays, freestyle fridays. every day <laughs> like i would just walk into work with whatever and i was like try me because i'm quitting <laughs> yeah i just couldn't i was like okay i if i at least i can make this a little bit better if i'm wearing something that i like yeah yeah so um so yeah so then it, i just had was fed up there was a big project that was ending at the end of march and so i knew i didn't want to quit like before that because i was like heading it yeah so i waited until that ended at the end of march and then i quit I, I i left at the beginning of april um and when i told this company that i was working at um after work i told them i was quitting they were like wow like we really like you can you come like full-time and help us awesome. and so it became like I, I was not expecting that at all so um they didn't pay me so that's not I was like extremely happy but it was at least something to do and I felt like I was learning stuff and um so when I left Goldman I was working with them I think I, like three days a week I would work with them mm-hmm. um, and I was doing like everything from organizing their Excel documents, which thanks to consulting I could do, um, writing up their shipping policies and procedures, which thanks to law I could do. Wow. Or And then I was also like selling to people on the floor and like organizing their um, production. Like, you know, we need this many labels to go to this factory. We need this to go here, you know, organizing all of that stuff. So it was a lot of different things. And literally the opportunity arose because of my experience okay so it's crazy that you say that because so i'm helping produce a podcast and i'm working with a production company and yesterday we were sitting in the conference room brainstorming for an episode and it's about a city in africa and it's telling a specific story about that city and i came home and i was like if i didn't have experience in the policy research world if I didn't have experience managing clients and people, if I did literally, I could like name all of the 
experiences that I had that I felt like were wastes that were right. the exact reason why I was a useful member of the right. team. That's crazy. But also, be it's, it's, it's <clears throat> also crazy because your asset becomes, um, your biggest asset becomes that you're an outsider. Yes. You know? Yes. And you're not the same as like the traditional path yeah. that other people may have taken to get there, which yeah. is like a beautiful uh, cherry on top. It's like, yeah. oh wow, I, I didn't make a bad decision. <laughs> I love that. That makes me so happy that you said that. Um, okay, so then what happens? Yeah. So, um, so I was working with them with uh, this company for uh, like till the summer, basically, and I was doing copyright by then. I was like doing product shoots. Like they trusted me with so much that I was able to be kind of a right hand in the company. When they left, they would go travel, and I would like be in the store and just help them out like on weekends and just greet customers and all that. So you're taking on more responsibility, but they're not paying you at this point. Were you mad? Um, I wasn't, I wasn't mad. I was more just, I, I knew that it would come to a point eventually that I would have to have that conversation with them. Yeah. Um, I felt like I was like gaining from the experience. So it wasn't like, oh, this is a waste of time. I felt better than when I was at Goldman. So I was like, this is still like, I'm still winning. And they were, I was very upfront with them that like, I wanted to use this time to explore other things as well. Yeah. So like I could change my days anytime. They were super flexible with me. So I, I really like that, but you're right. At, at a certain point I was literally doing the real work. It wasn't an intern and they knew that they were like, we're not calling you an intern because we have other interns and they're just like kind of data entry and yeah. whatever. But um, so they knew that. And so I knew that I was giving them value. But I think the way the where they are in their company, they really could only afford to have one operations person. Mm -hmm. So like they couldn't afford to bring me on. But we still are in contact and they like have referred me to other places, which I think in the fashion industry is like gold. Mm -hmm. That's how I got anything mm -hmm. to this point. At the same time, I told them I was like, I want to start this thing called Mama Bana. Um, but I still didn't know what that meant. I was like, I, I just like, I just like the idea of being able to have an outlet that's like purely creative, mm -hmm. you know, rather than me doing these um, more analytical tasks for a fashion company, yeah. right? Which I know I can do at this point, but I haven't really explored the pure creative space. Right. You're not the creative director. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So I think Mama Bana was inspired because of I had just gone to Eritrea so recently. Yeah. And I just saw like the disparity between Eritrea, which is in a really tough spot right now. There's not much innovate. There's not any innovation. People are like leaving the country. The tradition is slowly dying. And then seeing New York, especially the Eritreans and Ethiopians in New York, literally thriving um musically like at in creative spaces making music photographing like beautiful things and i'm just like there's such a huge gap between these two things like why can't we take all this energy we have in new york and put it towards our culture mm. like literally the one thing that we own you know mm -hmm. and so i really like just wanted to explore that and see how i could like develop our culture from here, from the diaspora and using the same like brain power, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I started just like posting pictures and I knew I wanted to, it to be fashion inspired, or, like include a fashion element. So I started like sketching in my sketchbook, 
like that was my like literally outlet yeah. <laughs> my creative outlet what were you sketching. what were you drawing what were you sketching uh, I was drawing clothes um but I'm like not a drawer so it looks like it, it's just a hilarious thing but um <laughs> I didn't want to put my harder earned money into things like immediately so I was just trying to a friend of mine actually just told me like you have before you get a good idea you're probably gonna go through hundreds of bad ideas so just sketch sketch a hundred outfits and see what comes of it. I 100% agree with that statement. Yeah. Because there's no way, like there's no world in which you'll quietly sit for a period of time and then the idea will strike you and you right. will execute. There's no world in which that, I mean, no. it's like a fluke if that happens. And and people may think that that happens, but that's like, I think it's like a misattribution thing. It's like you've done so much work to get to that point that you think that it comes to you, but it actually was because of all of the work that you had done wow. to get there. Yeah. Were yeah. you actively looking for inspiration outside of the work that you were doing at the fashion company? A lot of research. And like I went to um, the Schomburg Center a mm -hmm. few times and like checked out, or they don't allow you to check out these books, but like took a bunch of books and just like would look through um just like the different writings um, about Eritrea, mm. there's not that much. Mm -hmm. And it tends to be about the war and like nothing really about culture, mm -hmm. it's like historical. And I'm like, this is such a huge issue. We like are literally losing our culture. Yeah. And there's like a few motifs that we have that literally have been the same for who knows how long, like mm -hmm. our parent generation before that, before that, and nothing has come of them. And so I was like, okay, this is what I have. This is the world that I have. Like, what can I do with each of these motifs and bring it to bring them into the future? When I see the same Zuria a million times, I'm like, okay, you change the colors. What's a Zuria? Oh, a Zuria is a traditional uh, dress that they wear in parts of Eritrea and Ethiopia. Okay. Um, like the 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 particular um, design that they use has been the same, which is beautiful, and I think it could should continue that way. But it's like. Imagine if all you had was In-N-Out Burger. You had to have you have to have you know Supreme Burger and like you know Chipotle <laughs> Burger and like Bacon Burger. You can't just have the same burger for millions of years. Like what? Spoken even like though a true uh, Californian. Yeah, it's like you can still the In-N-Out Burger may still be your favorite burger. One hundred percent. But you're saying we can preserve tradition and also innovate on it. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and okay. my job isn't to preserve I think my job is to yeah totally get that so what did you start like you see these motifs you see these dresses you're like how do I innovate on it what did you do yeah so um I it was an aha moment actually mm. that but it was because I had been like thinking about it so much um there's a particular scarf that is like around mostly the lowlands but it has become like an emblem of our culture people wear it all the time so I was like the pattern is fire but I'm tired of seeing it in these same colorways in the same design so I was like let me use this as like innovate on this so like put my all of my energy into this mm -hmm. and so um I took the scarf literally to a like a high quality scanner um, somewhere in the village and they scanned it for me and then I used that as a baseline I was like okay what can I do with this like literally turn it into black and white like what can I do with this and so 
I was thinking about my name and the fact that I want like this to launch in a meaningful way Mm -hmm. and not just be like, oh, this is there. A lot of companies like start just throwing things on T-shirts and stuff and it's like not really meaningful. So I I really wanted to put thought into like each part of the process. And Mm -hmm. so my name, my middle name is Eritrea. My first name means the foreshadowing to a certain extent. Wow. So my it, it basically as a sentence means like the coming of Eritrea. So Bana so, Eritrea means the coming of Eritrea. Basically, wow. yeah. So I was born before independent, right before independence, and so I was thinking of this idea of dawn, things that will make you think about the coming or something new or you know like a launch, like that whole line of thinking. So I basically use that. I use the design, the pattern that I had scanned plus this idea of dawn to come up with the fabric. And then I was like, what do I want to wear every day? And I and that's how I came up with the first real piece. What is it? What is the first real piece? So it's like a top a button down top and a basketball shorts combo. Okay. okay. Literally like comfortable. You can wear each piece with different things, but it's still you're still wearing your culture. You know? I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm super excited. But this girl, this thing takes is so much money that I had no idea. So <laughs> that tell it me about be. this. Tell me about this. Yeah. So you decide you're going to create this thing. Then there's all kinds of logistics to actually like bring it to life. Right. Yes. So yes. did you quit the job that you were doing? I think I was still doing it. I was still doing it at the time. But like more and more, I was leaning into like I Every, I guess, transition before I quit, I've leaned into the thing I think I want to do. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I'm like, okay, let me just do this. What was the first step the you took? first step was fabric. So I was like, okay, I have this um, digital design that I want on fabric. Um, I had to find a fabric printer, which turned into testing it out with like six to 10 different fabric printers because the quality of the fabric's different and like the the printing quality is actually different too. Mm -hmm. Then the pricing of the fabric and the pricing of the printing and like literally going to sing sample, like they give you samples of the fabric and then you're like, no, can you change this? Can you change Mm -hmm. that? And all of this is costing you money. Actually, they'll give you strike-offs is what they call them for free. Okay. So that's fine. It's just when it comes to printing, it just takes up a lot of your time. Yeah. Because you think, oh, I have this idea, like I can execute it, but no, to actually execute takes longer. Um, So then once I figured that out, I had to be confident enough to pay money to print it. (laughs) So had you saved, how did you have money? Did you save a certain amount before you quit from Goldman Sachs? What what did you do? How did you think about the finances? The money. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I remember reading my horoscope. Like, I know this is actually really problematic, (laughs) (laughs) but I remember it was like, it was probably like January, like before I quit. Um, and my horoscope was like, you really need to save money. I know this is crazy, but it was like, you really need to save money. And I, before that, I just put all of, I just did direct deposit because, you know, it just makes you feel good. Yeah. But (laughs) then I was like, okay, shit. So I literally put a huge chunk of my checking account money into a savings account and forgot about it. And it was a good chunk of change. And so I, I still have that luckily, but Goldman was paying me a good amount of money so that I like 
really had, I'd say four paychecks in my actual checking account. And then I had some more in the savings account, but just using my checking account, I was able to, I created a mama bond account and I just put about like $5,000 into that. And I was like, okay, let me, everything I do, I'll just use this mama bond account and try to make this like my pool of money. Yeah. Um, which I mean, it's, I think the hardest thing for me is to stop shopping because I love shopping. Yeah. That makes total sense. Besides the horoscope thing, I really didn't think about money before <laughs> quitting, which is not a good thing. But I, I actually, so I love this because a lot of people who jump ship, they describe their story in one of two ways. It's like, I quit and then I found an investor and then it like worked out or I quit and I had saved exactly six months of living expenses. And if it didn't work out in six months, I was going to go find another job. But I'm like you in that, like I feel my way through a lot of these things. So it felt, it feels really relatable to hear you say, co-star told me to. (laughs) yeah literally but actually my favorite is astro twins but you know i really like astro twins i hate susan (laughs) susan is the worst susan stresses me out she takes yeah she'd be (laughs) saying like the planet because of the planets being in this alignment you literally like she'd be giving you like scary things yeah she's like you're fucked yeah, that's, she, she said starting October 27th that I, she said I need to get everything done for Mama Bana before October 27th. So what have the highs been and what have the like really tough moments been since you've decided to dedicate all of your energy to Mama Bana? Yeah, um, the, the lows have been um, all of the little time, uh, all of the little things that kind of pushed back the process like what so like um fabric printing I thought that I had found the place um and then the colors were all messed up when they gave me like a swatch and Mm -hmm. I was like okay I have to start or I have to find a new place Mm -hmm. um or uh the new place that I found the woman that I had given me like a huge discount left the company yeah like right before I was gonna do it so then they were like no 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 we're not gonna give you that discount because she was tripping damn (laughs) so like then that takes then you have to literally start from scratch again yeah and like in LA luckily I found the first factory I went to she's really like she believes in the brand and she's been helping me a lot so like I've also I think those are the highlights when like things just click Mm -hmm. or like when you get the design and you're like this is exactly what I was thinking for my head and it's crazy that it's here Mm -hmm. you know yeah Seeing like the actual product of your imagination. Literally, it's like, and then you realize you can do what you want. I don't know. Say more. (laughs) Someone said this to me. I think it really like helped me understand what I'm doing. Um, I feel like my life to this point has been um, other people telling me what I should do. Like I haven't been in the driver's seat actually because like whether it was like pressures to go to certain colleges or pursue law degree, even at Goldman, people were telling me what to do. And at the end of the day, I was doing something for someone else. Yeah. Now is the first time I'm literally in the driver's seat. And for better, for worse, like the positive of that is I can create any design that, that like literally comes to this big head of mine. <laughs> um, <laughs> or, but like the, the inverse is like, if something doesn't happen, it's because I haven't done it. Yeah. You know, 
So it's literally the first time I'm in the driver's seat and it's so exhilarating and it just is like, shit, I can really do what I want to do, which is, is it so terrifying. Yeah. I think the, I think the terrifying part of it, cause I really believe in it and I don't think that I will stop doing it. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, the terrifying part is the money part. <laughs> yeah. Like what happens if I run out of money? Yeah, girl, like money is, you know, you know that Nipsey has a line, all money in right now. It's like all money out. <laughs> like literally I have, it's just all every day is like sending money to the, to get like labels, sending money to get packaging, sending money to get um, pattern making every, every day is like money out, money out, money out. So it's like, okay, like you can only do that for so long until you have to get money in. And I'm not like a salesperson person by nature. So it's like, I have to, I have to put energy into that side of it. So it'll be interesting to see what comes of that. Do you think of a plan B or are you my, I have a guess of what you do, which is <laughs> you don't have a plan B, <laughs> no. but you are going to see how this works. Mm -hmm. And depending on how it goes, you'll figure something out that will make money. Exactly. No, you got it. Exactly. I heard some podcast that said <laughs> people who have plan B's are less likely to execute on their plan A. Totally. Which makes complete yeah. sense. Because it's about the same thing of comfort. Like if you know that there is something more comfortable on the other side, why why stay on the side? Yeah. But at this, I think the, the second part of that that's like really helpful for me to think about is I've, I've already lived this other life where I know I can make money. And so like, even though I don't want to do that and I, I'm, I never plan on going back to a corporate job ever again, cause I don't think that that's the correct environment for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that I can use those skills to make money in some way, whether even styling, I know I can make money in that way. I could, use my legal um, knowledge for something, you yes. know? So yes. I have these assets that are untapped, yeah, but are there, you know? That makes complete sense. You are yeah. like the poster child for people who don't know, and I'm not saying this because you've like figured it all out and you know what the next step is. I'm actually saying it because you are very comfortable with the steps of figuring it out. You are mm. the poster child for learning to collect data wherever you are and then pivoting, collecting data from there, pivoting. And I think that's yes. the only way to fall into the career that you love because people will email me often and say, how did you discover your purpose or your right. passion? And I'm like, I, I don't know that I'm equipped to answer that. I just know that right. when I feel uncomfortable, I feel so uncomfortable that I have yes. to try something different. So I explore whatever seems interesting and then I go that way. And I, I read this idea of like pivoting and then, you know, learning there and then pivoting again. Mm. And you're exactly the same. And I, I love that. I think that that's really the only way to the only way to grow and find the thing that you want. Yeah. And it's really listening to yourself because I give this advice to everybody turning 30 because I, that's when I learn this the most. Mm -hmm. It's like you have everything that you need to know inside you. You just literally have to listen to yourself and not be distracted by other what other people think you should do or, you know, like literally you have 
everything. Like if you look at what you were doing as a kid when money was not an, an issue at all, when you think about how you spend your time when your idle time, literally I was on shopping, like shop every, I would come home every day and go online and shop and look at blogs, you know? Yeah. Um, just listen to yourself and you're your own inspiration. That's a lesson that I don't know if you were the first person that told me that you might have been because I don't think that I ever really understood what it meant to listen to yourself. I think that I, I don't know, this sounds crazy, but I kind of just assumed that someone out there knew mm. more than me and I would find the information by talking to them. And I, even with this podcast, like the the whole direction of it changed when I was like, oh, this is not about learning success principles from other people. It's really about hearing their story. And then maybe there's something you take away from that. Maybe, yes. that, maybe that inspires something in you that allows you to define your path. You know? That's so true. Yeah. Because like now my favorite thing to do is, or not one of my favorite, I say my favorite thing all the time, but one of my favorite things to do is listen to people's stories. Before I hated listening to people's stories. Cause I was like, okay, you're not me. Like what is, I'm not gonna do the same thing as you. I obviously tried to go down a path like, and that's not for me. So now when I love listening to people's stories because the whole story may not be your path, but there might be one little nugget that literally shifts the way you think. And that, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Wow. I love, I love this conversation so much. I don't know how long it Me is. Too. I don't know how much we're going to edit, but. <laughs> wow. I am so proud of and inspired by Bana. Um, it is incredible to hear someone's story and watch them blossom into the person and the career that they want, they're really going to thrive in. I hope her story encouraged you to move in the direction of your own light. And you can follow her on Instagram at MamaBana and get her latest collection at MamaBana.com. I'd also love to hear from you. Take a screenshot when you listen to this episode and tag me on Instagram. I am depth and candor there. So many of you already do this and it, it really, really makes my day. FYI, this podcast is brought to you by Libsyn, which is a podcast hosting site. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while and you're considering starting your own, you can get a free month on Libsyn by using the promo code VIBRANT, all one word. And with that, I hope you go pursue something that makes your life just a little more vibrant. Talk soon. Bye.